Well, hello again. Uh, very excited to get to begin a new series in the room that we started last week at TLR at Home. We are talking over the next uh, few weeks about the S word. And the fun part about this is you're like, what is he talking about? Because there could be a lot of different things. But really what we want to talk about is the S word. And when we say the S word, what we're talking about tonight and next week, and we, uh, we talked about a little bit last week, is the idea of sin. And it's something we don't really talk about a lot. That's why we're kind of putting it in quotes, like it's the secret thing. But it's something that we all deal with. and something that everyone has to navigate. And so we should talk about it. We should talk about what this looks like. Because at the end of the day, what you need to know when it comes to sin is that Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to live a life of sin. And so my hope for tonight, my prayer for tonight, is not that you feel like uh, I'm getting all in your business. But I want to reframe a few things about sin, like we did last week at Teal Art Home, talking about sin and temptation, but also reframe a little bit of really the tagline of the series. What do you do when it takes you out? And so tonight and next week, we're going to focus on two things we can do as a response whenever sin shows up in our life. Now, the reason I want to talk to you about this is because I think for a lot of us, the default that we fall into is the reality that sin can become something that defines our life. We allow our sin, our mistakes to define our life, but you don't have to be defined by your sin, and you don't have to be defeated by your sin. If anything, when Jesus came and he died so that you don't have to live a life of sin, what he died for and what he lived for and then died for and then rose again from the dead for is so that you can live a full life because Jesus wants to set you free from the life of sin. And so what he wants for you and what I want for you and what I think you want for yourself is a new life. It's a free life. It's a fulfilling life. And that kind of life is available to you. And see, it's available to you because of what Jesus did. Because Jesus did all the heavy lifting. Because he's the one who liberates us. He liberates you. He liberates me from that life of sin, from getting fallen into it, from getting trapped within it. Paul himself says that it is for freedom that Christ set us free. He wants you to find freedom. He wants you to find a full life. And so for those of you that are followers of Jesus, this is something that you've come to know, you've come to navigate, and you've come to live within. But for some of you who may not be a follower of Jesus, maybe you're here for the first time, maybe you're here because somebody brought you, maybe you used to be someone who showed up and now you're showing up again. No matter where you fall on the spectrum, it's the exact same for all of us, that Jesus wants to set us free and give us a more and better life than we could ever dream of, which is a life that is free from the power of sin. It's free from the grip of unhealthy habits. It's free from the shame of your past, and it's free from the anxiety of your secrets. Like, I know what it's like to walk around with secrets, things that no one else knows that you do when you're isolated and in the dark and you're ashamed of, and, and all that weight that you walk around with. Jesus wants to free you from all of those things. And what I know is true is that that's what you want. We all want that. No matter where you are, you would say, I want that. I don't wanna walk around with shackles around my arms and weights holding me down on my ankles. I wanna be free. I wanna live that life. And see, we all want that life, but what's true, and why we're talking about this tonight, is because that kind of life can sometimes feel hard to find and hard to live. And this guy, Dallas Willard, he's an incredible theologian, pastor, uh, the way he explains that conundrum, that dilemma for us, I think is good words to start with. Here's what he says. He says, the general human failing, our failing, 
is to want what is right and important. We want what is right and important, but at the same time not commit to the kind of life that will produce the action that we know is right and the condition that we want to enjoy. We all want what is right and what is important. It's just really hard to commit to this. And we experience this all the time. You experience this in your life all the time. How many of you have ever had the commitment to go to the gym to get really in shape? Just, just go ahead and admit it. Show your hands. It's right. Uh, me. But guess what happens? Two weeks later, I'm like, but I'm tired. I don't know that I want to. And then two years later, I've just donated to the gym, right? I'm just giving them a donation, and for it, I've gained love handles and a dad bod. And I'm going to work on it one day, guys, I promise, right? Getting in shape. It's a thing where we want what's right, we want what's important, it's just really hard to commit to it. Maybe for you, it's dating. Maybe you're like, I'm never going to date a loser like that again, ever. And then you start dating someone else, and your friends are like, does she know that they're like twin? It's the, it's the same guy. She thinks he's different. Like we find ourselves dating the exact same type of person again. Even though we want it, even though we had the best intention in the world, we find ourselves there again. Or maybe it's grades. Maybe you're like, I'm gonna get straight A's this semester for the first time since I was in sixth grade. It's gonna happen. And then two weeks in, you're like, that test is gonna suck and I don't really wanna study for it. So a B's fine. You know, I mean, it's okay. Maybe it's waking up early, right? This is, this is New Year's resolutions. We all make them. We all got big intentions, big hopes. But then somewhere along the line, our human failing is that our desire for right and important is never matched with a commitment to make the changes necessary to actually get there. And the exact same thing is true when it comes to our faith. For so many of us, we want the full and free life that Jesus offers we just have a really hard time actually living out what it means to have that. Here's what I would say. I would say that we want different. We want different. All of us want this. If you evaluate any part of your life where you're like, it's not the best, you want that to change. You want it to get better. No one has ever woken up and been like, I can't wait for today to be worse than yesterday. This is gonna be wonderful. No one's ever said that. There are no songs about that. There are no love songs written about breakups and it being a good thing. Like, no, we don't want worse. We want better. We want different. Here's the problem, though. We want different, but we're not committed to the kind of life that will lead to anything different. I love the way that Andy Stanley says it. He says, direction not intention, is what determines your destination. Your direction, not your intention, is what determines your destination. In other words, unless something changes, nothing's going to change. And your intentions alone aren't good enough to change. Because your intentions are these hopes and these feelings, but your intentions don't determine your destination. It's your direction that does. See, what we need then is a new direction. If we really want this life, we need to find a new direction. Our intentions and our trying really hard and white-knuckling our way with all of our willpower and all of our strength and all of our discipline into better, it just continues to fail. It just continues to not work. And we continue to find not a full life, but what sometimes doesn't even measure up to a half life. There's this one guy who said it this way. He says, rowing harder 
like rowing harder, getting where you're trying to go, rowing harder doesn't help if the boat is headed in the wrong direction. Like if the boat is headed this way, but you're supposed to go over here, you're like, all right, cool, let's just get there faster. But you just keep going the wrong way, like, uh uh-uh, that ain't gonna work. No, you'll look like an idiot out alone in the ocean, and then good luck then, like, no, you're lost. Rowing harder doesn't help if the boat is going and heading in the wrong direction. And so what we need is a new commitment. If you've come in here tonight and you feel like there's a part of your life that you want to change, there's a full life that you keep hearing Jesus wants to offer for you. There's a future that's better than anything you could dream of that he wants to give to you. If you want that life, then for some of us, what it means is that there is a new commitment to a new direction that we gotta find. And in our faith, that idea has a word. Changing of direction, it has a word. And this is what we're gonna talk about tonight. And it's the word repentance. Now, all of a sudden, some of you may have been like, "Mm -mm, I'm out, I'm not doing this, that, mm -mm, no, 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 that's negative, I don't like it, don't tell me I gotta repent. And the reason why is because so many people have hijacked this word and have turned this word into something overwhelmingly negative. It's those bullhorn preachers with signs on the greens of your school that I've already told you are not my friends. Like, there is nothing else that annoys me more in the world than someone sitting there with a picket sign or something giant up in the air, yelling into the air when no one wants to listen, saying, repent or go to hell. Like, It doesn't work. Just shut your mouth. Stop talking. Because nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that message. And so as a result, we hear the word repent or repentance, and we have this negative connotation for approaching it. And so we want to stay, we want to stay away from that topic. That's not something we really want to approach because it's been weaponized. It's been taken hostage. It's been hijacked by religious leaders or those that think they're the religious elite, or they're holier than thou. And they use it to belittle, or to condemn, or to unfairly judge people like you, or like me. And so tonight what I want to do is I want to reframe and redefine what repentance actually is. Because what I think you're going to see by the end of tonight is that repentance is an invitation It's not something that is negative and to be avoided. It is an invitation that is positive that you can embrace. It is a wonderful thing for your faith and for your future. So here, let me start with the definition. You wanna know what repentance is? The actual words of repentance and what it means? Here's what repentance is. Repentance means to change your mind or to turn around and change direction. It is a complete alteration of your basic motivations and the direction of your life. And it's both of these things. It's both your mind, your thoughts, and your direction, your actions. It's the things you're doing in life and the things you're thinking about life. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to set you free from sin. He wants to set you free from that kind of life, that weighted down life, those secrets, that anxiety, 
the things that take you out. He wants to set you free for him. And he made a way for you to be free. Maybe you just need to hear that good news a few minutes into this tonight. That if you want to be free, it's available to you. Jesus made a way for you to find freedom. He made a way for you to find that full life. He made a way for you to experience a more and better life, both now and forever with him in heaven. And so if he made a way for us tonight, for some of you, what we need to do is we need to change our direction to get on that way. We need to find out what that way is that he leads us to, and we need to choose to follow that direction. And any of us, if you think about it, any of us would do this. Imagine you're driving in a car, okay? And imagine that there's no cell service. Isn't that fun? Did you just freak out a little bit? Yeah, I can feel your heart racing. Imagine there's no cell service, and you're like, this is 1974. Is that what a map is actually for? Yes, that's exactly what they did that long ago. So you're in a car, and then you realize you're going the wrong direction. Unless you're a stubborn guy who's like, I'm going to figure it out. I'm just going to keep going. Like, I may end up in Alabama, but eventually Alabama will turn into Florida. Like, no, if you're trying to get to Florida, you don't always have to go through Alabama, okay? If you're going in the wrong direction, and you're lost, and you realize you're going in the wrong direction, the moment you realize it, someone tell me, you're going this way, you're supposed to go that way. What do you do? You turn around. What's it called in driving, eh? A U-turn. You make a U-turn. You turn around. You turn from your way you're going to go the right way. This is all that repentance is. It's you turning from your way or from your sin or from your wrong thinking even and turning towards something that's far better. It's turning from those things to something far better. And it's important for us to realize that it all starts with you turning from something. It starts with you turning from something so that you can turn towards something else. And here's the reason why. The moment you turn from one thing, by default, you have to turn towards something else. Like it's a logical thing that's going to happen in your life. When you choose to turn from something, you're turning towards something else. Another way to think about it. Anytime you say no to something, you're actually saying yes to something else. And anytime you say yes to something, you're by default saying no to something else. It's vice versa. When I chose to marry my wife almost 13 years ago, I remember the number. Good job, Matt. When I put this ring on and I married her, what I said was yes to her for the rest of my life, which meant I said no to all other options for the rest of my life. When you say no to one direction, you're saying yes to another. When you say yes to one direction, you're saying no to the other. And so saying a no to a life that is defined and has been defeated by sin allows you to say yes to a life that is defined by Jesus, a full life. This is why repentance matters so much. Because it's the thing that allows you to get in line with his design and his desire for your life. And so if you remember, if you listened last week with TLR at home, all sin is, is you choosing to live what you think is best for you instead of what God says is best for you. It's you taking whatever purpose he's put into your life and perverting it from your pride. You choosing to make you king of your life and you the center of your life instead of what he says should be the center of your life. It's disobedience. So when you turn 
from disobedience, you turn to obedience. And at the end of the day, if that's what leads to a full life, like just logically think about it. I think that's what you want. I think, again, the human condition, the human failing, the thing Dallas Willard said, that's what we all want. We all want a more and better life. We all want a full life, a fulfilling life. And this is how you find it. So as we talk about repentance and why it matters so much, a few things you need to understand about it. Two things. The first is that repentance is a one-time event. Repentance is a one-time event. It's not that like, okay, I'm going this direction, but I'm gonna repent, so I'm just gonna keep going in this direction, like maybe two degrees better. Like, yeah, there's a tree over there on the side of the road, but it's fine. I'll knock it down, it'll stop me, something will happen. I'm just not gonna fully turn. Like, no, repentance is a one-time event. It's a full U-turn. It's going in the opposite direction. It's something that you do once to change your direction. But it's not just a one-time thing forever. Because not only is it a one-time event, repentance is a lifelong process. See, repentance is what enables you to go in the right direction that first time. But then repentance is something that we keep doing as followers of Jesus throughout our entire life. It's a lifelong process. And the reason why is because of what repentance does. Repentance leads to a relationship. Like Jesus loves you. Like do you, do you, when I say that, I say it all the time, but do you understand, like does that hit you? Does that land and, and sit with you? He loves you. He looks at you right now and he says, I love you and you are worth it. He loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And your repentance and turning towards him is what enables that relationship to happen. But also, because it's a lifelong process, once you choose to follow him, it becomes a lifelong responsibility to follow. Because if you say, yeah, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you, but you go in this direction, you always go in the direction of whatever you're focused on. So you can't follow something that you're not focused on. If I want to follow him, but I'm focused on something else, I can't by definition follow him. My feet can't go that way. So this is a lifelong thing we have to live with because the reality for all of us, the bad news, uh, maybe for some of you, you weren't aware of this, but what's true is we all mess up. And just because you become a follower of Jesus, it doesn't make you perfect. Like Christians are not perfect. Ever met a Christian? <laughs> you know that we're not perfect. No one is. And we still mess up even after we choose to follow Jesus. We still go in the wrong direction sometimes. And so repentance is this posture that you get to take of your heart to say, I wanna pull back and return. Maybe I needed to turn around the first time. Maybe I just need to return back around to where I was going before. See, we think of repentance as this bad thing, as this like, ugh, stop yelling at me. I would say that repentance is actually a sign of maturity. Repentance is a sign of growth because it's a sign of humility. It's you being willing to say, I've been going this way, I've tried this direction, and it's just not working out. It's not what is best for me, and I feel it, and you know it. You know when it's not best. So I'm gonna figure out what best looks like. And there's this guy named Jesus who promises that he's gonna take care of me, 
who promises it's going to be a more and better life than I could ever dream of, and who promises that the moment I turn around and I knock on that door, he is going to open it and welcome me regardless of what I have done. And so I think tonight, as we talk about repentance, I think if you're honest, as uncomfortable as you may be, there is probably something that every single one of us could think about. We can fill a list of the things that maybe we need to repent from. Maybe for some of you, it's anger. You just become so angry at the world or at the things going on or at Twitter or at politics or everything happening around you or some person because someone did something. And maybe that anger is just absolutely enraging and fueling everything you're doing. And it's not best. Maybe for some of you, it's not anger. Maybe it's envy or it's jealousy. Maybe for some of you, it's connected to what we talked about in the last series. It's sexual immorality. It's decisions that you've been making that are just absolutely killing you inside. Maybe for some of you, it's your pride. Maybe it's your unbelief. You're just distanced and keeping him at arm's length, even though he wants to come close to you. And see, even if you're a follower of Jesus, you may be set free by him, but you may have also chosen when you do this to turn back around and to go back to that sin and to pick up the shackles and the chains and lock yourself back into a prison of your own doing. Because we can so easily forget that Jesus offers us free life and we choose that sin anyways that enslaves us. And so if you don't want that, if you don't want that, you just have to turn around. That's all that it takes. It's that simple. It's that clean. It's that clear. And yet some of us, we hear this and we're like, yep, I agree with you, Matt. I don't want that. I'd like to have a better life. I'd like for things to go on the up and up. I'd like to experience that relationship with the creator of the universe who created me and knows me and loves me. I'd love to get to know him and find out if he's truly as kind and as loving as I keep hearing you talk about. But we're hesitant, again, to make the changes necessary to get there. For some of us, the idea of making a U-turn is like turning the Titanic. You're like, I'm just, it's gonna, it's a little icy, so I don't know if we can, I'm gonna keep, that looks real fun. I'm gonna stay over here. Oh, no, I was supposed to go that way. I was gonna go, and it just takes a long time. Because I think what's true is that a lot of us are hesitant to repent. We're hesitant to approach it. We're hesitant to say that it's what I want. And so if that's you, can I walk through three reasons why I think we don't repent? I think this maybe will give you a little clarity and help you understand. The first reason why we don't repent is because we don't see as God sees. We just can't see our life in the situation the way that he sees things. And he sees things farther and bigger than we can. He already exists in your future. He knows what's coming and he wants to lead you into that best possible scenario. He wants to guide you because he sees differently than you. Think about it this way. I have a lot of little children, five of them. If one of them decides to run out into the road and there are cars coming, it is not within my character as someone who loves my children to be like, you think they're gonna make it? This is like real life Frogger. Let's see. I don't know, that tractor trailer's moving pretty quick. And she's only two? This is gonna be real bad. Like, no. I would never sit there and play a game with it. I would immediately yell and scream and run to do whatever I can to get my two-year-old out of harm's way. Why? Because I can see what she can't. 
I can see that car coming. I know what's going to happen. And she can't. If she could have seen what I saw, she wouldn't go and do that. And so for some of us, we just got to start seeing things the way God sees them rather than the way we see them. And maybe one of the best things you can do is to understand how God views sin. Can I tell you four things that are true about God's view of sin? The first thing you need to know is that God hates sin. What we see through scripture is that he hates it. He hates sin because of what it does, because it fractures and it breaks the relationship that's possible for him to have with people. And as a result, the second thing is that God hates what sin did to his son. Because it is sin is the reason why Jesus had to go and be crucified, why he gave up his own life, why Jesus went through everything was because of our sin, because he chose to, because he could defeat sin, but it cost him everything. God also hates the fact that sin ruins your life. It will. Look around. You know this is true. There are countless stories of how it absolutely takes you out, and God hates the fact that it suffocates the intimacy that is available for you to have with him. When you walk around and live in a life of sin, of disobedience to what he wants for you, it just suffocates. It chokes out any opportunity for you to have intimacy with him. And he hates that because he loves you and he wants you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And maybe for some of you, you just need to realize that the way God sees you, not even your sin, the way God sees you may be different from anything you've ever viewed before. If you started to view yourself the way God viewed you, all of your insecurity would be obliterated. And you would see that you don't have to be defined by your sin and by your shame. You can be defined by everything of what he did for you, by Jesus, by the forgiveness that he offers, and by the life that he wants to give you. You can find your identity in the way he views you, and God's view of you can become true of you. Seeing things the way God sees them would change everything. But since we don't, we're hesitant repent. Another thing, another reason why is because of pride and fear. Pride and fear. Two very dangerous things that will take you out from being able to do this. Because what your pride says, this is fun, your pride says it's not a big deal. Like it's just a little sin. Like it's not really to hurt anybody. I mean no one else even knows. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that much of a problem. Like it's just, it was just this one time. Okay fine, it wasn't one time. It was just this one week. It was almost one week, like maybe it's a pattern, but it's fine. I got this. I can control this. I can contain this. I can handle this. And I love the way Ben described our desires last week at TLR Home. He said, your desires aren't bad in and of themselves. God gave you desires that are wonderful. And those desires that burn inside of us, so let's use fire language. He said, those desires within the context of how God designed to give them to us, the purpose which he gave them to them, it's like a fire in a fireplace. It's contained, it's in its spot, it's helpful, it's enjoyable to sit around and to, and to be able to experience in a fireplace. But the moment that fire goes into a forest, it becomes a wildfire. And you know what you can't do to a wildfire? You can't contain it. And when your sin and your distorted desires run rampant, it's like a wildfire. And our pride says, you can control it. But we really know that you can't. And we've seen so many stories of people who have tried to, and they just get swept away in the darkness of their sin. See, what pride does is it deceives you. It lies to you. 
And then the moment that it lies to you and it deceives you, you start hearing, I can control it. And people may speak truth to you and they're like, I don't know that you can. And you get defensive and you start putting up a shield and you don't let anybody get close. And then they say one word to you and now you don't have a shield, but all of a sudden you're holding a sword and you start attacking them and you start keeping everybody away from you because how dare you come near me and say that I'm doing anything wrong? How dare you think that I may not be perfect? And then your pride feeds into your fear. And then fear starts to worry because I can't let you know what's true about me. What would they think about me? What what would they think if they knew the the real me? And all of a sudden the imposter syndrome kicks in and I can't can't let anybody get near. I can't let them know. What if they knew that I'm not perfect? What if they knew that I'm not actually this facade? What if they knew that my Instagram isn't real life? but it's trouble when you're more afraid of people's view of you than what your sin does to you. It's trouble because it keeps you from finding the full life that he offers. It keeps you from repentance. And the other reason, the third reason why we stay away is because repentance, let's call it what it is, is hard work. It just is. It would be so much easier to just sweep it under the rug and la, 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 it's not real. Mm -mm, Not even here. I don't don't even have problems. I'm great. Like, it's fine, I'm fine. No, there's a wildfire around you and this entire place is gonna fall down. You keep saying you're fine. We know you're not fine. It's easier to act like it's not even there, like it's not even a thing. Because for many of us, the cost of repentance just feels like it's even more costly than the cost of our sin. But there are countless stories, mine included, that would tell you that dealing with your sin now is far better than dealing with the consequences later. I was 26 years old. My son was a few months old. And I remember standing at the doorway between my kitchen and our little dining area, confessing and telling my wife that I looked at pornography. It was not the first time I'd ever looked at pornography. But when I was 11 years old, a habit and a rhythm began in my life that then started to catch fire and became a wildfire when I was in high school and through college. And it became this walking darkness and shame that I carried, the greatest vice and struggle of my entire life. And I wish so much at that moment that at 26, I could have just figured it out when I realized what was going on. But I was too afraid I was too caught up in my pride, too caught up in the fear of what if people found out. And the consequences in my marriage were so much greater. It is so much better to deal with it when you become aware of it now than dealing with it later. So these are three reasons. What's yours? What's keeping you? Like, What's the glaringly obvious thing in your life that you may need to turn around from so that you can experience a full life. What's the thing that you need to deal with? Because see, we're not the only ones who had to deal with this. And in scripture, Peter himself, the person who denied Jesus three times when he was going to be killed, denied, said, I don't know him, kept him at arm's length, put up a sword, put up a shield. He absolutely stayed away. That same guy, would have repented and turned around and come back and communicated how much he loved Jesus. And then Jesus would have said, I'm building my church on you, Peter. And then Peter would go out and he would communicate God's message of love about Jesus to all the people who killed Jesus. 
So you think you've done something bad in your life? You didn't actually choose to release a murderer so that Jesus could be crucified. But there's a group of people who did. And Peter starts talking to them and he starts calling them out. He is going ham on these people, saying like, you killed the son of God. Congratulations. Do you feel good about that? That wasn't a smart decision. That same guy that you crucified, he was just walking around with all of us. He's fully alive. You went after the wrong person. And then they're like, well, what now? And I love the language. Instead of an attack, instead of going after them, he invites them into something. Look what it says in Acts chapter three to this group of people. He says, repent then. Now that you're aware of it, now that you've realized, repent then and turn to God. Turn around from your direction, turn around from your beliefs, turn around from your thoughts and turn to God. Why would you wanna turn to God? So that your sins may be wiped out. If you want your sins to be forgiven, if you want your sins to be clean, if you want the darkness to go away, all you have to do is repent. Because when you repent and you turn to God, that is a posture of surrender, it's a posture of submission, and it is an ask for forgiveness, and he gives it in droves. When you turn from that thinking, when you turn from that pride, when you turn from that direction, and you turn to Jesus. Maybe you've been fighting against him your whole life. Maybe you've been fighting against that press for a long time, but then you start stepping towards him and there's a promise that happens with repentance. This is why it's an invitation. This is why it's a positive thing. This is why you should want to embrace the idea of repentance because of the promise that Peter tells us. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That Times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You get to be forgiven of your sin and then you get to be refreshed with new life. You get to be forgiven of that decision and you get to be refreshed. Have wind put into your sails, have life breathed into you. When you've been exhausted from the fighting and the hiding, he looks at you, he races towards you, and he gives you all the wind in your sails to keep on going. Not in the same direction, but in a new direction with a new commitment for a new life. Repentance leads to this relationship that you get to have with God, and it provides you with refreshing, cleansing, grace, healing, the moment I confessed to my wife, I experienced grace that I did not deserve like I never have in my entire life. And we worked through it and I got healthy because what happened is instead of continuing to pursue the secrets in the darkness, I started going to counseling. And for six months, every week, I went and met with this mid-60-year-old old ex-chicken farmer for 20 years who had the deepest southern drawl you can ever imagine and would just sit there and spit so much wisdom and grace and truth towards my life and point me in the direction of Jesus so that I could be refreshed, so that I could be forgiven, so that I could find healing. That is a full life and it is so much better than the life I was living before. What Jesus is trying to do is breathe full life into your lungs and put all that wind back into your sails that you have taken out of your life because of the secrets, because of the darkness, because of the sin. And so you change your mind. You change your direction. And so now the logical question is, how does that actually look? Like, 
how do I then repent? There are four things. I'd love for you to write them down. I think if you're, if you're feeling this, if you're wanting this, there are four things you can write down that are gonna allow you to understand it. But before you write those four things down, there's two quick distinctions you need to understand. The first is that you're gonna get to choose one of two paths as you choose forgiveness. As you pursue, as you pursue repentance, there's two paths you can choose. You can choose the path of conviction or the path of condemnation. And I need you to follow the path of conviction, not the path of condemnation. Let me show you the difference. Condemnation is from the enemy. It's from the accuser. It's from Satan. It's from the one who wants to take your life out. But conviction is from the Holy Spirit wanting to give you more life. Condemnation throws lies and deception into your ears and into your heart. But the Holy Spirit wants to speak truth over your life about who you truly are. Those lies, the condemnation, it says that you are bad because you've done something wrong. Your mistakes, by, therefore, have to define you. But the Holy Spirit in truth says, no, 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 it's not that you are bad. When you choose to follow Jesus, all that happened is you did bad. It was, it was a moment. It's not identifying of who you are. And then that lie, when you believe I am bad, condemnation makes you live in shame. No one likes this, but so many of us choose it. And what the Holy Spirit wants to give you instead of shame is he wants to encourage you. He wants to encourage you into the more and better life than you could ever dream of because the condemnation tells you that you're disqualified. But conviction, all it says is you're just in progress. You're just growing up. It's the process of finding maturity. So when you choose that path of conviction and when you, find, when you seek out repentance, here are the four things that you can do now that I'd love for you to write down if you wanna find this for you. The first thing you need to do is you need to identify the sin. Here's why you need to identify it. Because you cannot defeat what you cannot define. You cannot defeat what you cannot define. And so you need to identify what's the thing that's pulling me in the wrong direction. And then the next thing you need to do, number two, is you need to turn from that sin. Literal repentance, make a U-turn. I was going that way, it's not working out, now I'm gonna go this way, straight towards Jesus. The third thing you need to do is you need to confess that sin. We're gonna talk about this next week. Talk more in depth about why confession matters so much because this is the scariest part of this entire process is confessing to someone else this idea of repentance. But you need to find trusted people around you that are above you and around you who can speak life into you through what the Holy Spirit men wanna say. And you need to confess that sin. And the last thing you need to do is you need to focus on the Savior, not the sin. You will never get out of that trap that you find yourself in if you just keep focusing on the sin. The only way to overcome, the only way to actually get there is to focus on the one who actually overcame it. Jesus was faced with all the temptations that we face and he overcame all of them because he never sinned. And then when he took your sin on the cross and he died and he raised from the dead three days later, he died so that you don't have to live in that sin and you can find full life as well. So focus on him, not your sin. And if you choose this, you will find a full, life. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for making a way. Now my ask is that in the name of Jesus, we would choose that way. May we become a people who are not afraid of repentance. May we become a people who are not afraid of getting healthy. I pray that we would choose healthy over happy because through that you would grow us up 
and you would lead us into the more and better life than we could ever dream of. So thank you. And really what I wanna say on behalf of everyone here is thank you for loving us first. We love you right back. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.